Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Testament called Galatians. And each week for the past 10 weeks, we've been sort of biting off a half a chapter, walking verse by verse through this letter, which was written nearly 2,000 years ago. Uh, I said this at the outset of this series, that this letter and the contents of it are some of the oldest, maybe even the oldest manuscript that we have in the New Testament. The closest piece of literature to ground zero. And Paul writes very early, like within 20 years of Jesus' resurrection, he writes to this group of Christians who are meeting in a region called Galatia, and he's writing to these various churches, and he's correcting them, and he's encouraging them, and the theme of the letter, as we've been talking about, is freedom. And Paul writes to this group of Christians who are experiencing uh, bondage to human performance. They're being told that if they get a surgery done, if they keep these Jewish traditions, that they'll be right with God. And Paul says, no, the only way that you and I are right with God is through God's work in his son, Jesus Christ, that he came and paid the price we could not pay, that he came and met the requirements of God on our behalf, and we receive it by faith. It's, it's Paul's message. It's the gospel. And uh, he, he's writing to these, these Christians to encourage them. And so last Sunday, if you were here, We were in the first part of Galatians chapter 5 where Paul says, for freedom you have been set free. That that we, through Christ, are free from some things. Human performance, we're free from the law. Speaking of the Mosaic law and all of the commands and all of the uh, ceremonies and all of those things that came with the Mosaic law. And here's the reason why he had to free us from it is because none of us could fulfill the law. You say, oh, yeah, I keep the Ten Commandments. Jesus is like, really? None of us could keep it perfectly. And therefore, the law judged us and condemned us. And so he sets us free from the law through his sacrifice. We're free from the power of sin. Paul talks about that in the book of Romans. He says, you're no longer under the power of sin that lives inside of you because there is a new power, the Spirit of God, that sets you free from it. We're no longer, uh, we're free from guilt. We're free from self. We learned about that last week. But we're also free for something. Jesus didn't set us free so we live however we want, do whatever we want, serve ourselves. In fact, what we learned last Sunday in in Galatians 5 is Paul says, you were freed from these things, but you were freed to love and to serve one another. You go, okay, what does that mean? Serve and love one another. Now, as I studied Galatians 5, I began to wonder myself, why did Paul say that you're free from all these things and free to serve and love one another? Why didn't he say, you're free to love God and serve him? That would make sense, wouldn't it? Isn't that what you expect him to say? But he says, no, you're free to love and serve other people. And I think the reason why he does that is because if you look historically, throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, there have been people who claim to love God and honor God, whether it's Christianity, Muslims, any faith around the world. I love God, I want to honor him, and they do atrocious things to their fellow man. True? I mean, just look at history. And it's interesting to me that when Jesus comes along, he says to his disciples uh, in John, I think it's John 13, the week before he dies, he turns to his disciples and he says to them, I give you a new commandment. And you've heard of the golden rule, you know, treat others, you'd have them treat. This is the platinum rule. In Galatians 5, Paul says, if you do this one thing, if you love and serve others as Christ loved and served you, you will fulfill all the law. 
And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he says this, a new commandment I give you that you, what's that say? Love one another. Like, oh, okay, all we got to do is just love, 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 love everybody. Well, it's not quite that simple. Jesus literally is going to define love because everyone thinks, oh, love is a feeling, it's goosebumps, it's, it's being nice, it's being sweet. But love is, Jesus is going to define love for us. He doesn't let us define it for ourselves. Love one another, and here's how he says, just as I have loved you. Even though I'm the master, I've served you and washed your feet. Even though I'm sinless, I've forgiven you your sins and not judged you. Even though uh, I've done nothing wrong, I will die. And they didn't know this, but he would soon, within the week, die for them. <laughs> and he's like, one rule, do that. <laughs> it's like, okay, just as I have loved you, you're to love one another. This is the, the platinum rule, as Andy Stanley likes to call it. And in the next verse, he continues by saying this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Here's the thing, we can claim to love God, but the way we treat one another really tells if we love God. John, one of Jesus' closest disciples in his letter, would say this. He says, if you claim to know God, if you claim to love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. So how we treat one another exemplifies and demonstrates the truth of the gospel, that, that we're truly connected by faith to our God. And so I think that all of Paul's letters, if you read Paul's letters in the New Testament, he's giving all these instructions. He's telling people, do this, don't do that, live like this, don't live like that. All of those things that he does are actually uh, him trying to explain how to live and love one another well as Christ loved us. That's what he's doing. And what you'll notice if you read his letters in the New Testament is that they're different. There's a different tone, right? So in Galatians, the, this, this uh, book that we've been reading, uh, he's, he's talking about freedom, freedom, freedom. You don't have to do all these rules, traditions. Don't go back there. Be free. But he's writing to people who are literally willing to have surgery to please God. Right? Like they're willing to do anything. And then when he writes to the Corinthians, right? If you've ever read the book of Corinthians, it's like, what was going on there? It's like, it's like a frat party. You know, it's a bunch of college students on spring break. And they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff, sexual stuff. Just they're all getting drunk during communion. Seriously. And Paul writes to them and he's not like, be free, friends. Right? Because same truth delivered in a different way for a different purpose. For example, if two people came to me and they were having a disagreement, let's say it's a husband and wife, and they're fighting. And the husband, let's just say, is extremely domineering. And he's angry and aggressive and controlling. You know what my advice to him would be is how to love his wife better? Stop talking. Be nice. Listen. Like, really listen. Right? Stop yelling at her. Like, that would be, everyone agree, good advice, right? Now, if the wife is in her case very, very subdued, never says anything, never stands her ground, and he's walking all over her, I would say, stand up for yourself. You need to say, I, I do not be, deserve to be spoken to like this. You're disrespecting me, and I'm not going to take it. And that would be good advice, but it's different advice for different people. And that's what we see Paul doing in his letters. He's, he's saying, no, this is how you love and serve one another in your context. This is how you love and serve one another. But the goal is that we would love each other like Christ loved us. So, Today, as we enter into the sixth chapter, Paul's going to get into, uh, as he does in all of his letters, he's going to come to the end of this, and he's going to speak to some practical things that were going on in Galatia. And he's going to give us some instructions about how we treat and live with one another. How many think that's helpful, right? Because we all got to live with people. Like, if you're married, you got to live with your spouse. If you're in a family, you're dealing with parents, siblings. If you're in your workplace, you're dealing with your coworkers and your boss. No matter where you are, you're going to deal with other people. Um, and so here's what he says in Galatians 6, verse 1. 
And we're going to spend a bit of time on this first verse. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression. He's going to start with this. What do we do when people mess up? And I want to highlight the word brothers because I want you to understand that he's talking to Christians about how we deal with other Christians who have stumbled and fallen and made mistakes. He's not talking about Christians going running around in the community saying, you shouldn't do that, policing, moral police. He's not talking about that. He's talking about us as Christians, dealing with other Christians. And he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, it's assumed here, as Paul writes this, that Christians will mess up. Do I really need to even expound on that at all? <laughs> like, the truth is, I, Timothy Keller says this. He says, we are all sinners, and that's half the gospel. Like, until you get that, you can't get the whole Jesus saved me because you, don't, you have to recognize, I'm broken, I'm a sinner, that left to my own devices, I will falter, I will fail, I'll be selfish, I'll be full of pride, whatever it is. And, and so, this should just go without saying. And so, if you look around the room, we've got a, lo- a lot of lovely people in the room. You guys look great today. Happy Mother's Day. But you're sinners. <laughs> I've just got to say it. I mean, it's true. And you know it. You can pretend you're not. The people who live with you and work with you know that to be true. And so Paul says this. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, the word caught means overtaken. It's not means somebody's like, I'm doing the wrong thing and I don't care what anybody thinks. He's talking about somebody who's mistakenly slipped into something or been overtaken by a temptation or fallen into error. And he, and he uses the word transgression, which is a really blanket term for a bad thing, some, an error, a, a misstep. And, and so, I'm th- personally, I'm going, Paul, this isn't helpful because if you just tell us which things that if people do, we should step up and say something, and which things when they do them, we can just go, okay, we'll just allow them to sort that out. Like, am I the only person that wonders when to say something and when not? I mean, if you're a parent, come on. What things do you pick on and what things do you let be? Uh, and, it, and it's difficult because all of us will tend to, to swing in one direction or the other. Here are the two directions. When we see someone in our family, someone we love, someone in our church, in error, falling into something bad, there's two options. Here's the first one, legalism. All right? And legalism often tends for us to jump on. Like we're going to fix everyone else. We're going to point out their faults, make sure they really know. And even once they know, we'll drag them through the mud a little while so they really know. That's legalism, Okay? But, but that's one end of the pendulum. If you swing to the other side, you know what you're going to end up in? License. And license is you do whatever you want. Nobody cares. Nobody, there's no checks, no balances, no, no confrontation, no discipline. Just everybody do what they want. And those are two extremes that end in destruction. Um, legalism calls out everything. Legalism calls out everything. So, for example, if we're having uh, some snacks after church, and I see you reach for a second cookie. And I know you've already reached your daily caloric intake. Like I could just scream, gluttony! And I could point that out. And you go, well, that's not nice. That's really aggressive. You should do it privately. So I just come up beside you and I'm like, brother, I noticed you ate that second cookie. And that's gluttony. You'd be like, so, thank you so much. That is so loving, brother. No, you wouldn't. You'd be like, leave me alone. Um, I'm going to walk some stairs later. You can't judge me. Um, pretty girl walks by and the guy, you know, he sees her coming when she walks by and he looks over his shoulder and takes a peek, right? Lust! Just scream it out. I saw, or even if you do it privately, brother, I, I saw you take that second look. No, the first look's okay, but the second look, that's lust <laughs> by my definition. And so 
where's the line? Like, if, here's the thing. If we picked on everyone for every wrong they did, that would be, that'd be something, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, someone tells a story and they add some little twist and you're like, liar! I know, I was there, it didn't, you know. So, so what things do we point out in love and correct with one another and what things do we, do we let go? Paul, he doesn't tell us. And, and that's frustrating. So legalism calls out everything. License calls out nothing. We don't ever say anything. Everyone does what they want. And this is harmful because then people are wandering off into destruction uh, legalism, here's the thing about legalism, okay? And I know none of us in here would be like, I'm a legalistic, but if you go down a couple slides, um, the next one, uh, legalism, uh, sin becomes hidden. Now, so if you're, a, if you're a parent and you are on your children at all times, okay? So like your kid does one little thing wrong, you know, they leave a Cheerio on the side of the table, like, ah, clean that up, ah, you're just like on them, micro, like fix everything, perfectionistic, that's my tendency, so my wife and I are on our kids. So, but if you do that, here's what I've discovered, is that if you're overbearing, pointing out all your kids' flaws, guess what happens to the sin? It doesn't go away. It goes underground. Years ago, they had this thing called prohibition. They outlawed alcohol. And they said, you can't make it, you can't buy it, you can't drink it. Let me ask you a question. Did people stop drinking alcohol? <laughs> no, they didn't. They just made it in secret. They sold it in secret. And they drank it in secret. And it's the same thing. If you're part of a church, if we're a church that's running around pointing out everyone's sins and being judgmental, guess what happens to sin? It doesn't go away. It goes underground. And that's bad because then it never gets surfaced and nothing ever gets dealt with. And so this is true of families, true of churches. But the other side is, is, legal, or is a license where sin becomes invisible, where all of a sudden everything's so permissible that you don't even notice when things are going wrong and destruction falls upon you quickly. Um, I'd say this last thing about legalism is that um, legalism, you, you don't talk about it. You can't. You can't talk about it, right? So it's like if you've done something wrong, you can't. If you tell anybody, they'll just beat you up about it, so you just keep it hidden. But then in, in license, people won't talk about it. They're just nothing. And so these are two extremes. Can you all see this? I'm trying to paint the two extremes, and we're to walk somewhere in the middle in love where we do point out things and we do confront one another, but we do it, as you're going to see, in a loving, gracious, caring way, and we're not jumping on everything. Here's how he continues. Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, if they've slipped up, they've messed up, you who are spiritual should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Now, when you see the word spiritual, you're like, oh, these are super Christians. I've seen those people. You know, they can expound the Bible in Greek and the Latin versions and Aramaic. I mean, they're just, they know all the verses and they can teach classes, but that's not what Paul's talking about. When he says a spiritual person, he's referring to what he said in the previous chapter, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, faithfulness, kindness, goodness. He's like, these are the qualities of a spiritual person. It has nothing to do with what you know. It has everything to do with how you treat others and love like Christ loved. That's what he's, that's what he's talking about. And my, um, my experience growing up in church was that often the people who claimed to be the most spiritual were the most aggressive, legalistic, judgmental, and proud. May that not be true of us. Um, people say, but pastor, <laughs> it's my job to go run around and, and point out everybody's faults. I just, I see hypocrisy everywhere. I see people lying. And saying, I have the gift of discernment, to which I say, maybe you have a critical spirit. 
Hard to tell sometimes, right? Virtue and vice, there's usually a very thin line between strong leader and aggressive, controlling you know, tyrant, right? There's often a really fine line between a merciful, generous person and an enabler. And it takes a lot of heart work to go, am I approaching this person? Am I approaching this situation with the love of Christ? And am I approaching it with the intent to restore the person or for some other purpose? And that's what Paul points to here. So um, spiritual people are to seek the restoration of the other person, right? We're to gently restore the wounded and the hurting. And historically, sometimes in church, we've just shot the wounded. It's like, shouldn't have done that. See you later. (laughs) Because, of course, we see other people when they fumble and they fall and they sin and we think to ourselves, I'd never do that. When I was a kid, my grandmother, God bless her heart, she was such a sweet lady. Uh, but she had this, this air about her sometimes. She would hear this little saying. Some of you may recognize it. When she'd see somebody doing something she thought they shouldn't do or that she wouldn't do or that was morally wrong, she would say, well, I never. <laughs> How many of you ever heard that? Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't put your hand up if you said it. Um, it's just this idea. So it's like, I can't believe people would do that. I would never do that. And it's fascinating to me because Paul, in the next verse as he continues this conversation, is going to actually say, actually, you might. You might. And it's good for us to remember that. Here's what he says in the next verse, or in the next part of the verse. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So the very thing that you're going to walk up and talk to somebody else about, the thing that they've done wrong, you better be very, very careful because there is a good chance that you yourself will fall into the same thing or something else that you're blind to. So it's not, well, I never, it's very cautious, very humbly approaching in love for the purpose of restoration. Um, you know, um, mature and spiritual people, and I'm not necessarily claiming to be one, I, I, hope, I hope I am and I'm moving in that direction, but uh, mature people, like truly spiritual people, they really do understand their own weaknesses, they understand their own ability to fall into sin, they see it clearly. If you had asked me 20 years ago, if you'd have come to me when I was in my early 20s, graduate out of Bible college, you know, full of knowledge, full of, you know, power and all this stuff. I mean, if you had come to me and said, Nathan, I think you, I think you've got an issue with pride. I would have been like, no, I don't. I would have fought you about it. And now if someone comes up to me after church and says, I think you have a problem with pride, I'm going to be like, you're just realizing this now? Like, I deal with it every day. Like, like Legitimately. I remind myself every day, I'm not the center of the universe, I'm not the center of my family, I'm not the center of God's purpose, I'm Nathan, and, and I see it in my relationships, and I go, ah, oh, there that thing is again, and I'm trying to stuff it down and ask God to help me. That's what mature people do. It's not like, oh, I'm good, I got this. No, no, they see it, they recognize it. I would say that the longer you walk with Jesus, the closer you get to him, the more aware you become. Because you're, you're looking at him, the perfect one, and then you're looking at yourself and you're like, wow, i got a long way to go. That's what mature people see. And so if you see that, the way you interact with other people changes, doesn't it? And, uh, and so here's how he continues in the next verse. Because remember, we're talking about people struggling and how do we love, encourage, and correct those who are struggling around us. Here's what he says in verse 2. Bear one another's burden. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I don't have to tell you what the law of Christ is because we read it in John 13. Love one another as I have loved you. That's, that's the law of Christ. So he says, here's how you do that. Here's another way. Not only do you gently confront those in error, carefully, cautiously, 
but you bear one another's burdens. You, you help one another. Now, I have a bag on the stage, and I need a volunteer to come up and lift this burden, okay? I don't know if you guys can see it. There's a black bag right here on the stage. Do I have a volunteer, somebody pretty strong, you know, uh, that can come up and, and lift it? All right, Jim, come on up here. Um, so there's that bag. Please be very, very careful lifting that bag. This is your burden, Jim. So go ahead and just uh, give a little tug. Okay, all right, I hear stuff cracking. That's not good. <laughs> that bag's a lot heavier than it looks, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so here, here's, here's what Paul's talking about. When it says, bear one another's burdens, you would think if you just read that verse out of context the rest of the chapter, it sounds like God's saying to us, Paul's saying to us, go and do for other people what they should do for themselves. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying carry their burden for them. He's actually referring, the Greek word there that's used for this burden is this idea of like an overloaded donkey that, can, that is like stumbling and falling and cannot. And so you come along to assist and help to lift that burden. And so Jim and I are going to lift this together. You grab that side. We're just going to real gentle, okay? It's still really heavy. Okay, let's drop that down. Thanks, Jim. Everyone give him a round of applause. That was pretty good. So you know, that bag weighs 170 pounds of dead weight. Um, So I'm feeling it a little bit. Uh. But it's this idea that sometimes, again, it can be deceiving. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but have you ever looked at a friend, a family member, and you're just like, I can't believe they can't carry their own burden. Like, I could handle that, because it doesn't look that big. (laughs) Until you get over there and start trying to lift it with them, it's like, oh my goodness, you really did need some help. And the idea is that we come alongside. Now, if I came over here and Jim wasn't even trying, like if Jim was just like this, like I'm not going to lift that thing for him. But if he's doing his best, I'm going to come alongside him and help to bear his burden. This is what Paul's talking about. When you see people struggling, when you see people under a load they can't carry, the law of Christ demands that we do what we can do to help. Is that making sense? All right, and so we continue. Verse 3, if anyone thinks he's something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I love how well, Paul enters into this game. Hey, what do we do about people in our, in our church, in our family, who are Christians and who are stumbling in sin? And then he goes on to talk for the rest of the time about stuff you've got to do in your own heart. <laughs> I just love that. Right? And he says, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Sometimes we think we're, you know, oh, i got my life together. I'm doing so good financially, job, career, relationships. And, and so much of it is the family we grew up in, the gifts and talents that God has given us. So we're like taking credit for things that were gifts, right? And we look over and criticize other people who have a burden they can't carry. Um, it's amazing um, how we just fail to see our own blind spots. And here's what he says in the next verse, verse 4. And this verse seems contradictory, but let's just look at it. Let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Now, this is the same Paul that for five chapters has been saying it's not human performance, it's not human performance, it's not human performance. Then he's like, let's test your own work and see his reason will be to boast in himself and not in his neighbor. What he's talking about here is this comparison thing that we do. (laughs) And here's the problem with comparison. You can't win. You literally, there's no win in comparison. It just doesn't work. And so the problem is, is that you will feel something based on who you're comparing yourself with. If I go and I lift weights with my 11-year-old son, I'll pick up a 40-pound dumbbell and I'll be like, yeah, and he's going, eh, and I'm like, yeah, I'm Superman. 
And then, and then I go and work out with Adam McEnroy. Some of you know him. This is his bag. He lifts it for fun. He carries it around for fun by himself, right? And so I go and I lift weights with him, and I'm like, I am a puny, scrawny wimp, right? And so if I'm comparing myself to somebody who's weaker than me, I go, yeah, I'm full of pride. And if I compare with somebody who is, who is stronger than me, I'm full of despair. I'll never be. And it doesn't work. And so he says, let each one test his own work. What are you testing it against? Not against the person who's sitting in the chair with you. You're testing it against your walk with Christ. That, that what we're to do is to look to Christ and to walk towards him. To become a little more like him. If, if, I were, if you were to rank yourself as a Christian... Now, we don't really do this, but if you were to rank yourself from a 1 to 10, like 10 being a perfect Christian, by the way, no 10s in the room, just, say, just throw that out there, right? Or a 0, like you don't even have faith, maybe you're here and you, you've never, you're just new to this and you're going, what's all this about, who's Paul? Right, like you're a 0, this person thinks they're a 10. But no matter where you find yourself, here's what you test yourself against. You test yourself against Christ, the perfect 10. And you move in his direction. So there could be two people in the room. There could be somebody who a year ago was a one, just getting started. And over the past year, they've committed themselves and they've worked and prayed and really served and tried to love God and read their Bible. And they have made their way all the way to a two. And you're a five and you're looking down your nose at the two going, (laughs) but you used to be a six. You see the problem? And, and what he's going to talk about next is that each one of us will one day stand before God, not for how we did compared to others, but for what we did with what we were given. And so then all of a sudden, the, the laser beam focus comes off the people around us, comes off our family, our kids, our, our friends, our neighbors, our in-laws, and it comes right back where it ought to be, right here. And we're testing ourselves going, am I growing in the image and likeness of Christ? Am I a more loving person today than I was a year ago? That would be something to celebrate. And that's why he says to boast in that. Um, he continues uh, by saying this, is verse 5, and i got to keep moving. My goodness, time is getting away. Uh, verse 5, he says, for each one will have to bear his own load. <laughs> now this is interesting to me, because in the second verse he says, we've got to help each other carry each other's loads, and then at the end he says, you've got to bear your own. And in the original text, there are actually two different words for load. The first time he talks about load, it's talking about a load that a person cannot bear and needs help with. This second time when he says each one has to bear their own load, he's talking about like a backpack, like the Roman military would wear a pack, and in the pack would have all their supplies and the things they need, and they were able to carry it. And so he's talking about each one of us is responsible to carry our load, but the moment we can handle that, we're beginning to look around and say, who needs help? You understand? Because like we're not going to walk into heaven like through the pearly gates and be like, I got my backpack, I did my thing, I'm good, and God's going to say, yeah, but... You walked right past a whole bunch of people that couldn't lift their bag, and you did nothing to help them. It's like, oh, you mean I was supposed to love and serve others? Yes, that was the whole idea. And so each one will have to bear his own load. He, he transitions in verse 6, and he's going to talk about giving. So this, is a, this next text we're going to look at is often preached with uh, you know, tithes and offerings and giving at church. But yes, he's talking about money, which I'll refer to, but... The spirit of this whole thing is about loving and serving others. That's the point of the whole chapter, so let's not get sidetracked. Here's what he says in verse um, 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. As these early churches formed, there were, there were pastors and leaders in the early church who were serving and teaching the people, and they needed to survive. And so the people in the church would give food, resources, and things to those leaders. Now, we don't have a setup like that. 
you're going like, well, I've never given Nathan anything. If you give to this ministry in any way, you are supporting me and all the staff and all the ministries that happen here at this church. And so you're like, oh, are we doing that? If you are giving and supporting this ministry, you are fulfilling this. And I was thinking about this this week, um, that in the eight and a half years of our church's history, we have never once bounced a paycheck on one of our employees. Uh, in the last couple of years, we've begun to add a few benefits and things for our employees and for their families to help care for them well. Thank you. You who support this ministry are doing that. Our staff team continues to grow with each year, and those staff members, each one of them, by the way, um, served in our church as a volunteer before they ever became a staff member. So their heart was to be here and serve. We just said, hey, we're going to pay you to do it so you can do it part-time, full-time, whatever it is, so you can commit to and dedicate yourself to it. And the goal, by the way, of our staff members (laughs) is not to look good. The goal of our staff members is to help our volunteers look good, to help them win. That, that's the goal of our volunteers. A uh, little, little announcement, just because I'm talking about it. Um, this past Sunday, we actually added a, a new staff member. And before I tell you who it is and the details, let me just say this. Uh, a year and a half ago, uh, Alex Wolf, who was playing the guitar and singing over here, uh, was our worship director from the time the church began and was on part-time staff in the later years. And a year and a half ago, he resigned from that position for his family and his job and all the things that he had going on in his life. At the time, we weren't ready to hire a new worship director. We didn't know what to do. And so we called upon some volunteers who were in our worship team to help lead. And so we had four people step up. Carolyn Cook, um, Jake Goodman, Jason Dunn, missing one, Brian Martin. And these four incredible people stepped up, planned the set list, held the practices, really worked with our volunteers to help uh, get us through. We told them it would be one year. It turned into a year and a half. Uh, But... Uh, as of this past Sunday, we brought uh, Jason Dunn, who was on the keyboard today, uh, in as part of our staff team to help us move music and worship and production elements forward. And so we're really excited about that and wanted to let you know. So please, uh, today, if you, th- if you see any of those volunteer worship leaders, please thank them for what they've done. And they're not going anywhere. They'll keep serving and working, but uh, we now have a staff member to help oversee that area. So we're excited about that. Thank you for those who donate and help us to do that. We really, really appreciate your generosity. He continues, verse 7, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You've probably heard this before. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You're going to see, Paul's referring to money, sure, but he's talking about kindness. He's talking about serving one another. He's talking about caring for other people. And he's saying that, that whatever you do, it will come back to you. Whatever you sow, you will reap. It continues in verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh, to his own selfish desires, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. He's not just talking about money there. You see that? He's talking about our our attitudes, our behaviors. He's talking about all of those things. Verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. By the way, guys, this is faith. Faith is doing the right thing even if you don't see the results. I know people say faith is, you know, all these other things, but faith is obeying God when it hurts. Faith is doing the right thing when you don't see an immediate result. Paul is literally saying, love one another. You come over here and you, you help somebody carry their burden and you go, what's in it for me? Nothing. That's the point. That's faith. I'm doing that to help them because I love them, and I'm doing it because God loved me. And the beautiful thing is, is that when I come and help you, then when I'm in need, 
often what happens, this is the reaping, others come and help me. It's a beautiful image. And so he talks about this, about this faith doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Here's the thing. When we love and serve others, when there's nothing coming back to us, that is an act of faith because we believe that God sees and rewards. Right? That one day when we stand before God, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's, that's what we're hoping for. That's what we desire. And we desire the benefit and the growth of the people around us. So we love and we serve. Here's the last verse we'll touch today. He says this in verse 10. So then, and he's kind of summarizing all these things he said. So then, as we have opportunity. It's good to remember, you can't help everyone. If I had six of these bags and there was five people trying to lift them, you couldn't help everybody. You can't, you can't do everything for everyone. So as we have opportunity, our goal isn't to fix the world. Our goal isn't to help every person in the church. Our goal is to have our eyes open, to carry our burden well, and then to humbly step in to help serve, love, correct, and influence others as we have the opportunity. Is this making sense? Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we treat everyone in the world with kindness, but specifically we begin here. Jesus said, you will know they're my disciples because of their love for one another. If we can't love each other well, even though we're sinners, there's no way we're going to be able to love the sinners that are out there. And they're just people like people in here. And so we have to, we have to have this faith to serve and love one another, to do good, especially to those of the household of faith. So here's, here's the takeaway as we go today. Before we step in to correct and fix someone else's misstep, there's some self-evaluation going on, right? It's like, recognize I'm a sinner. Recognize I have my issues. Recognize my motives better be right before I step in to correct you. I better be able to carry my own load well, and then I'm going to come and I'm going to help you carry your load. And in the end, here's what we're going to do. We're going to trust God with all of the results. And by the way, this is a great description of motherhood. Right? This is what mothers do. They love and serve their families, right? And, and a good mother does that. She gives, she gives, she gives, and then once a year, she gets a few flowers from the grocery store. <laughs> it's not a lot. Like, so why are you doing it? Well, because she loves her family, right? That's what a good mother does. And, uh, and that's a faith step, right? Because ultimately, we're trusting God with the results, you know? And if I could get nothing more across to you, it's like humble, gracious, self-aware, serving others, and trusting that God will take care of the rest. If we could do that, if we left here today and we all did that, things would begin to get better very, very quickly. And not only that, we would grow in our maturity, our relationship with God, and with others. Because here's the thing, when we love others well, we truly do love the God who made those individuals. And the way we treat others is how we treat him. We pray together. Father, thank you for these words of Paul. We've been reading uh, for many, many weeks. And Lord, as we come to this section that is so practical, uh, it's easy for us to pick one verse, sowing and reaping, or confronting someone else about their sin and just run with it. But I pray that we would listen and interpret in, in the context of the whole chapter, that we're to love and serve others as you have loved and served us. Help us to do that well. Help us to step into other people's areas of weakness humbly with an attitude to serve and help lift them up. God, help us not to become prideful and arrogant, but help us to realize that, Lord, you are the goal, that we seek to become more like you and that you empower us to do it by your Spirit. Father, if there's any person in here who has never surrendered their life to Jesus, I pray they wouldn't leave this place without doing so. 
Father, that we all in this place would continue to walk towards our Lord and Savior to become more like Him by the power of Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.